Nah, man, we done worrying about territory, man. What corner we got, what project. Game ain't about that no more. It's about product. Yeah. Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. So Ian's been challenging me to consider running ads on the show. So I thought my first customer could be myself. So for our big conference this year, DCBKK, we are offering a limited number of tickets to qualified listeners the Tropical MBA podcast. What does qualification mean? It means you must own a location-independent business that generates at least $50,000 in annual sales. Those tickets will be available until August 19th. That's two weeks. And this is a great chance for busy entrepreneurs, particularly ones with established businesses that keep them very busy to get involved with the community. You know, that's one thing I learned when we offered Barcelona tickets publicly for our previous event was in Barcelona, is that the people who took up the public tickets were doing so in an effort to save time, to sort of get on a fast track, as opposed to maybe getting a membership if they don't know anyone, especially, and having to reach out with people directly and connect via threads and things. They figured that this would sort of be a fast lane. And I thought it was great. It brought new perspectives to the event. It got some fresh faces because so many attendees are returning. So in the spirit of all this, I've invited my friend Damian Thompson onto the show to talk about product launches since we're sort of in the middle of one right now. So for the first 20 minutes, I'm going to talk about four or five lessons that I've learned over the years of having confidence in your product and selling it on a schedule and giving people incentives to buy and things that have been challenging for me. In the last 10 minutes or so, we're going to talk about some inside baseball, like what it's like to go to DCBKK and how it's evolved over the years. So I hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, so I think the interesting thing for me is watching your view of your own event change over the last five years in that you know, I used to talk about, I think that you were a little kumbaya in the, in the beginning and the, maybe you thought that your responsibility was kind of being a connector and bringing people together to now it's a business event. Like it's a full on business event attended by smart people that want to project their business forward and not a bunch of entrepreneurs that want permission to do something, but people that go there to make deals, to make things happen. I closed a five figure deal at DCBCN. Someone who is a DCer, actually wasn't even a DCer, his business partner was a DCer, knew I was a sales guy, went to my sales speech, reached out to me after said, we have to talk, sat in a cafe and said, we want you to help us do this, sign up, literally had an idea for a product, walking through him, launched a product for him, right? And for five other people, and it's five figures. So, you know, from that event. So here's what I want to talk about, because I was looking at the sales figures today. I put a public offer on. So I was like, oh, I'll do a podcast talking about what DCBKK is, and we have a limited number of tickets for podcast listeners. And then I thought, well, rather than just going through a whole event pitch, why don't I talk about product launch? Because I feel like for the first time, we kind of got it. We've done so many of these things, and we've done it so terribly, generally speaking. Generally, it's just, here's a registration link, come get it, and then people register at the last minute, we put it all together, and we make it happen. Words are important, right? And so you're talking about DCBKK as a product. Yeah. Yeah. So DCBKK 
one and two, did you view them as products? Or, hey, these are get-togethers that we've got to kind of – as long as we kind of break even, we're okay. Like these are a lot of the words I used to hear from you. That's We're now point. saying this is a product now. My business creates this product that has a lot of value, and I'm going to treat it with the respect it deserves. Right. So can I share some of the mistakes that I've made over these product launches and some of the insights that I've – Do we have enough time? <laughs> <laughs> to my credit, to our credit, the team's credit, we have sold over half a million dollars worth of tickets in the last three years. But this launch is going particularly well. And I think we are giving it more respect. Here's the first mistake that I made, Damien. I never created a strong incentive for people to buy early. So this year I did something. Rather than wait until I have all of my numbers and ducks in a row operationally, I just said, you know what? As a thanks to all the people who came to DCBCN, I'm going to go up on stage and I'm going to offer it cheaper than last year because I want to get momentum going and I want to give people an incentive to buy now. You know, startup lingo is about product market fit. I think it's a perfect example of that because being behind the curtain a little bit, I know that your incentive here to create this early purchase was also an operational thing for you guys, right? Saying, hey, one of our biggest frustrations is we don't know how many people are going to show up to this thing. And so without knowing how many people are going to show up, we're not sure how we can plan for it. And so it becomes this kind of self-fulfilling mess of we don't know how to plan, we don't know how big to plan for, all these sort of things, where you said, you know what, in order for us to deliver the best event we can, we need a much clearer idea of how many people are actually going to show up and when. So you know what, let's create a way to get that for us. And in creating that, you created this wonderful thing where there's value to them and value to you. And voila, it's that quintessential win-win, which is hard to build in business sometimes. But I feel like that's because you've got a good product market fit. Like you know we're going to deliver value to people for this. They know they're going to receive the value. And if they can receive that value and there's an incentive for them to pay early, they're going to pay early, which is really your point. Right? Yeah. Your point is that you know, create a reason for them to say yes early that's good for them and for you, not just for you. Yeah, and if you're going to do this, you have to have a strong logic, sort of a vision for the plan, and you have to be willing to stick to your guns. Yes. That's really important. Well, we were talking about this before, right? That's it. Like The way you make this work is, is you don't then add on magic tickets at the end. right? Correct. There's no additional tickets. When you say it's a limited event, it has to be a limited event. And I made that mistake in 2013. We sold 170 tickets and that's how much space we had and it was like still like two months left and i don't remember the exact numbers forgive me it's two years ago but i called up the event venue and we were like is there anything we can do and they were like sure we can rearrange some chairs or whatever and we unlocked tickets which hurt our credibility and hurt the logic of the process one of the things i was i guess worried about is like two months from now if the price goes up 200 dollars, are you going to make people mad what we needed were our customers to commit because otherwise we didn't know how many people were going to come right but your thing is perfect you you guys have done a great job of building credibility. You hurt your credibility a little bit a couple of years ago when you did that. But this time you said, look, mea culpa, we've learned our lesson. Now this is when we say it, we're going to do something, we're going to do it. And so this is your benefit to you, Mr. Customer. If you sign up early, because you can lock our numbers in, we're going to give you a very good reason to do that, which is a much cheaper ticket, right? But here's what it's going to look like. If you don't do it here, then the next step is it's going to look like this. The next step is going to look like this. And once we're sold out, we're sold out. After 2013, I was like, I made that mistake. So in 2014, I was like, we have X amount of tickets. That was exactly it. And we had a room that could be rearranged and we could go back. None of that. Final amount of tickets. Do you know what happened? We sold half of our tickets essentially at the last minute. So one of the lessons that I learned is you need to recreate that scenario over and over throughout a launch cycle. So if it's true that 50% buy in the first month and 50% buy in the last month or whatever your time frame is, then you have to figure out 
a non-artificial way to actually create these stages that progress along. Yeah, little mini launches. Again, words are important. Product is a perfect word, right? So you aren't selling DCBKK. You're selling four different ticket packages to DCBKK. And ticket package one is the pre-launch, right? It's the one you sell for the Sage DCBCN. And that is a finite time, a finite period, and the benefits do it. Then product launch two is the first batch, the early tickets to the DC audience, right? Then the third batch is last-minute tickets. Fourth batch is wide open to everybody or whatever that is, however you want to classify that. But so what you're looking at is it's not – it's four mini launches, not one whole event launch, right? Right. Right. And for each launch, you have a detailed calendar of – Who's getting the deal, what the price is, what your inventory is at each price, and who and when you're messaging about that. So one of the things that Shana said in her information products workshop at the Barcelona event was about her 24-hour reminder email. And she was like, that's where half of my sales come from. We implemented it. And sure enough, like literally two weeks later, half of our sales of the early bird tickets went within 24 hours of them being available. And you know what's crazy is like, I thought people would be mad at me about doing that. And people thanked me. People said, hey, number one, thanks for giving me offer. Number two, thanks for giving me a real reason to commit to this product because I saved tons of money on my airfare, but also I'm just excited to be a part of it. And go, and go but also it. thanks for reminding me. Like this is the thing. There's a, <laughs> exactly. there's a tenant in sales philosophy, which is you have to ask for the sale. And it's amazing how many times people don't ask for the sale. And we have these assumptions. Oh, they know about it. I've told them once about it. People have lives. As much as they want to come to Bangkok in October, they forget you go down to number eight on their priority list. You need to re-remind them So because they want to come. They want to save money. They want to be in the early bird group. Sure. But they forget. They've moved on. Sure. They've bookmarked the webpage. To move on to the next thing. It's exactly what I did. Bookmark it, right? Remind myself to go back and do that, right? But didn't, right? But here comes this email. Oh, shit. Now I need to actually go do this thing. Right? right. Well, here's another mistake I made. I was scared to raise my prices for the longest time. And why? I don't know. Part of it is, is like people complain. Like people actually complain when you raise your prices. And so you have to look at those complaints and you have to ask yourself where you're going to be. I was on Upwork. I can't believe Odes changed their name to Upwork. It's so terrible. Horrible name. But the platform's great. And I was looking for some bookkeeper and I was looking through all these projects that they had done. And I noticed that the projects that were like sub $100 were brutal, brutal feedback. Like I saw some person write like a four paragraph negative review about a $60 project. <laughs> and, and so what I've noticed is like when you raise prices and maybe because I had been broke for so long myself that I didn't understand the abundance mindset that a lot of successful people have that, hey, I'm going to make $5,000 from this instantaneously, I'm totally willing to pay a little extra to be at a higher quality event. Yeah, look, there's definitely some, always some pricing equilibrium somewhere, but also understand the price of your ticket is just a small piece of this, right? So they have to pay the airfare, they got to pay for the hotel, the time out from their business to come. If the event itself doesn't have enough value for them to do all those other things, they're not going to come anyway. I don't care what the price. You could do $97 for a ticket and people won't come. But the thing is that $97 ticket, people will complain about that too. And I think you're right. I think I've noticed that you know one of the things I talk about when I work with customers is the first thing I do is, is I tell them I double their price book. I don't look at it. Sometimes I tell them I got into a market analysis and blah, blah, blah. The reality is I just double it because everyone always undercuts themselves. They always, hey, when I 
work for a company, I love selling a premium product, but once I was selling my time, once I was selling my hours, ooh, $100 an hour just seems like a lot of money. You know, I mean, I, I remember making $7 an hour at a pizza joint or whatever. Were it you is. at the, we were doing an event in Austin, I, I think it was last year. I think we charged like 100 bucks for 150 bucks. I got way more critical feedback from that. I mean, it was hosted at the W because Alex has an in at the W. It was cool, but it was like 100 bucks. We got a lot of critical feedback, good stuff that we used to improve our events. So I'm not hating on it. But when we threw the DC Singapore event, that was like you had to be a certified investor to come. We got some critical feedback, but not nearly what we got for the $100 event. I do coaching on Clarity. I started at $100 an hour, went to 250 then 500 Now I charge $1,000 an hour. It's 1667 a minute I charge. I get no negative feedback. I get far more positive feedback than 1000 because two things happen. One is pricing psychology. When someone's willing to invest that much money, they understand time is valuable. right? You don't get the tire kickers. You don't get the ones that are scraping together their pennies to put $97 together. They say, hey, I've got $1,000 or $500 to give 30 minutes to get one question answered. Right? The second thing is, is it's internal psychology. People want to believe the decision they made that big is a good decision. right? So they're going to look for criteria for success, not look for reasons to be upset. Set, right, so looking for reasons to say, "Hey, that was worth it." It wasn't. Hey, that wasn't worth it. Or would I do that again? I don't know. And it's absolutely true. It happens over and over and over again in every industry. That if I'm willing to invest five hundred dollars, I'm willing to invest a thousand dollars. Like the difference between five hundred and a thousand is minimal. But if you say, "Hey, it's five hundred dollars today, and it's seven hundred tomorrow, and it's nine hundred on Thursday, and it's a thousand on Saturday," and you're consistent and clear that pricing, and you give everyone the opportunity to get in there, then everyone's fine. And the people that, for example, I didn't buy the early bird tickets for DCBKK. Because I wasn't sure yet. I knew I was going to go, but I wasn't sure how many of my team I was going to take with me this time. So I didn't want to buy it because it wasn't the $100 I would save in the early bird ticket. It was the, I'm committing to this now. Am I actually also going to pay for the hotel and the flights and everything else? But now that I know, I want to buy now before the tickets go up again, right? And so, but that's a decision I made in my mind. It was a clear decision I made. It was never about value of the product itself. Well, oh, I'm, at $500, I'd buy, but at $600, oh, that's way overpriced, right? That's just, that's never going to happen. From zero to one is harder than one to a thousand. This is such a hard lesson to learn, but I see this in my inbox all day long and I don't, I haven't learned the lesson. I'm still learning it myself and you got to learn these things over and over. But it's this is that it costs me more to evaluate your SaaS product than it does for me to be a customer for two years. What happens is when you have these really high dollar products is you target that audience that is not price sensitive because they're time sensitive. It was a hard lesson for me to internalize. So here's one of the things that we did this year, and we've always sort of done this, but this year we got really granular and it's empowered us to have a strong logic to do these mini launches. So it's early bird, it's early access, and we changed the names and they have a strong logic, a strong price point, a strong messaging. It's all on a spreadsheet. Every single week, what the price is, where it goes to, how many tickets are available, and who gets talked about it where. And I want to mention this. I want to enter my pitch. Only a few hours before, we went public with these tickets for the first time. We have a strong logic. It's a higher price than DC members get. And I think DC members appreciate that. They get a deal on the event tickets. Now, public people, they get access to the DC for a few months so that they can connect with the event. They get a phone call from a community leader. Yeah, they got to pay a little bit of a premium, but for people that value their time. So I had people come up to me at DC Barcelona saying the same thing I just said about the inbox. They were like, hey man, 
I don't want to pay you money so I could hang around in your forum because I don't know anybody in there and I don't want to learn that. But you know what I did? I paid a couple thousand dollars to fly to Barcelona to meet all you guys. And I can't believe how amazing everybody is. And now I'm going to interact in the forum and stuff. And that really opened up my eyes. Like I thought, well, why don't you just pay 150 bucks and go in the forum? And it's like, I just said the lesson and I haven't learned it myself, which is successful people don't have a lot of time to evaluate your stuff. Yeah. And commitment, right? So, I mean, people hear forum, they think, oh, I'm only going to get value out of that if I put a lot of time into it. Right, right. It's not the cost. It's the time they're going to invest in there. And also, it's they've been burned out. They've gone into some other forum that's promised the world and haven't got anything. And it's not the $150. They're like, that's 20 hours of my time. Billing out at $250 an hour, $500 an hour, that's, that's significant, right? Yeah. So it's that, it is time poor. And, and even the people who are you know on their way up, the ones that are doing it, it's why I love the fact that DCBKK is the flagship event. Because being in Bangkok means a lot of people on the way up are in Southeast Asia. So it's pretty cheap for them to get there if they want. You know, right, right. They don't have to stay in the event hotel. It's always better to stay in the event hotel, right? You know, find a way to spend it for at least for two nights or whatever. But you know, there's still an avenue for them to get there. But the reality is for the majority of the people that want to come, they're gonna be flying in, right, from far away a lot of times to do this thing. And so yeah, a hundred dollars here, two hundred dollars there is not gonna break them. It's are you gonna deliver enough of value to actually make this worth it to me? And again, I'll go back to treating it with more respect. Like your spreadsheet, like that granularity, that's impressive, but it should be like that, right? You're saying, Hey, this is a valuable thing we're selling, we're asking money, we're asking for your time commitment. I mean, you're not gonna go to Bangkok for two days, you're gonna go for six. You know, so the event might be three days, but you have to do a day on either side at least and probably makes sense to add another day or whatever to do some networking so that's a significant a week out of the year you're asking for you know one out of 52 of their weeks right i mean that's a big commitment time i'll tell you what this launch calendar has allowed us to do which is create a clear separation between the sales process and the operational process so our sales this year are going to be able to shut down four weeks before the event which i'm so excited because that gives us four weeks to proactively go out and ensure that all the workshop presenters have their list of attendees and that they're pre-interact acting with each other. As an entrepreneur, you have that launch thing is like, if you sell a program and it starts in two weeks and it's not quote full yet, should you spend your energy trying to sell more of it or start doing the delivery? Well, that's it. I mean, that's the the quintessential battle for any product developer is how much time you use to develop the product versus selling the product. So if you can sell out of the product as fast as possible, you're actually doing a value to people that buy the product because you get more time to do product development, right? Like that's powerful, powerful stuff. That's why, you know, we went into the forum six weeks ago and said, look, we don't have everything finished yet. All the speakers aren't announced, but y'all know what this event is. If you're willing to commit early, we're going to give you a price break because exactly what you said, we're going to be able to develop this product. What I hear, you know, the timing and almost everyone that I know in the DC and people that want to go to the event, they want that early place. And it's not even for the money. We plan our trip around it. Like we, the earlier you can tell us when the event's going to be, the better it is. Once you know a date, you may as well start selling a ticket, right? So I know the date's going to be here. Let's start selling tickets right now. Let me ask you a question as a TMBA listener. Would you want to listen to this podcast if you're on the other end of it? Is this too inside baseball? I don't think so. So it's funny thing to me is I think the crossover between the two because the fact that your tickets are live now, I think that's very exciting. So for the first time ever, right, they're going to go live to the TNB audience. Yeah. yeah, if you're a TNBA listener, you can buy them. There's a limited number. Sure, as it should be, right? I mean, the DC members should get first crack, but yeah. also I think this is a great incentive for the DC members to sit on the fence. I met a few the other day that were saying, well, I don't know if X, Y, and Z, and that's the whole point of this progression is no hard feelings, but you need to make a decision because the events, we're on a time schedule. 
enjoy hearing it. Throw but I also back. think, you know, I was talking the other day, I mean, I'm a TMBA listener for many years for the fact that you and Ian were building something real, right? I listened to a lot of the early stuff, the internet business batteries guys, everyone else, but like you guys were building this business and this business was at the time products, right? Hardwood products. Well, your new products aren't that. Your products now are the events, your products are the DC, you've got these other products. So people listen to you for the business stuff you guys actually do. So is it inside baseball? Sure. But people listen to it for inside baseball. Me, it's not DC inside baseball. Let me give you inside baseball. What do you think about the pricing psychology when you go to the sales page and you see bundled products? We used to do it. You can buy an event ticket and then a mastermind ticket. And now we do it. We use the same nomenclature and say, you can buy a two-day event pass or you can buy a three-day event pass. The conversion rate to three was too high, actually, because we didn't have the inventory. So we had to raise the price and the conversion rate stayed the same. So what I learned, the lesson, the takeaway there is if you can bundle your products and make it seem like, well, like you said, I'm already in the door for two days. Why don't I just get the three day? We, we argued about this about one of the products in the DC is that I'm all about bundling. I'm all about clear action. I don't want, hey, I buy this and there's also this fee and then this fee and this fee and this fee. You want to bring this, you want to add that, you want to add this. Like the Chinese menu approach to pricing is not yeah. what I like, right? <laughs> what I want is you've got option A, option B, and option C, and those can be two-day pass, three-day pass, three-day pass, plus X, whatever. I don't care. That That's the value. And you're right. So then clearly, I want to just know. I want to know that I'm going to pay X total value. I don't want to know it's that plus this applicable fee and this applicable fee. It doesn't include this. Bundling is, is power. Before I ask you about your experience at these events and stuff, I want to just hear a little bit of insight since we're inside baseball to the teeth anyway. I kind of want to just sum up the main thing that I learned about product launches is, and it's hard when you're a new entrepreneur with new products, is if you don't have confidence in your sales process, your customers won't trust your logic and they won't act. And I think that that's what I had. I wanted to leave my options open the first few years. You know, if I didn't sell all my tickets, I wanted to keep the doors open so people would come in. And then sure enough, people did come in at the last minute because I let them. The confidence in your product is a great way to put it. Like, you know, someone like Kumbaya earlier. It wasn't that it was like just a meetup. It was like this idea of, I almost felt it was this almost like an unconference kind of feel. You don't want five tracks. You don't want people pitching from the stage. You had some ideas of what you didn't we want. We have a no pitch policy. Right. You had an idea of what you didn't want the conference to be, right? Sure, sure. But I feel like now you're going to what you actually do want the conference to be, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's much more actionable advice and workshops and breakouts and things that people actually walk away and say, I fixed my business, I grew a new business, or I found new customers. I wrote a blog post a day where I was trying to explain to the public like what DCBKK is. And I put a bunch of bullet points and stuff, but like you were one of those guys who like, you didn't come to the first two years and then you came to the third year. A lot of podcast listeners have heard us talk about the speakers and stuff. It does sound like another conference. So in your mind, what's different about this? You went to PodCamp, New World. You go to conferences all the time. So why is this different? Because I don't go to any conferences. Yeah. So I think that the first two years I had plans to go and I just didn't go the last second. But I really kind of viewed those more as, and it was more of me. I think the conference was new. I didn't want to just go to Bangkok for a meetup. And I know it was more than that, but that's kind of what it felt like to me. But also where I was in business, I wasn't ready to go and invest that time and energy. I'm a sales guy. So to me, I view conferences this way. Can I go there and meet potential customers? Can I go there and meet potential partners? Can I go there and meet potential people that are going to help me progress my business? And if I can do that, then I can put an ROI on it. And I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a goal. We were just talking pre-recording. Last year, I flew my entire team out. And yeah, we used it at a time to because we were distributed as a time to all meet up face-to-face. But it wasn't just party-party time. It was like, we had a goal. I want to sign two new customers at this event. Do you think I'm delusional to think that yeah. more business partnerships come out of a conference like this, like DCBKK, than your average? I would absolutely agree with that. The thing that, like I said, 
said, I had this goal. I think a lot of people go there just to go meet like-minded people that are also driving their businesses. I've seen a lot of businesses come out of the DCBKK. I mean, your partnership with Jesse Lawler came out of... Yeah, and Jesse with a lot of other people. Yes, everyone else too, right? <laughs> and I think but that happens a lot. I think, you know, our, our good friend Jeff Picaro leads everyone's events with a new uh, business idea, right? You know, I just came back from a podcast event last weekend, and it was fine, but it was just an event, right? I don't feel like there was a lot of business happening at that event. This is kind of like a deal-cutting thing. Really? It's, it's more dealy. But that's the audience, right? I mean, that's why I think this is not inside baseball, it's DC. I mean, people that go to the TMBA want to be business people. Well, this is a business podcast, and yeah, we do some froofy travel stuff, and we have travel packing podcasts, <laughs> you know, but the reality is is that the people are here because they want to change their life, right? And whether that means changing what they're doing or doing what they're doing better, right? I think that's there's a reason why you're at episode 303 or whatever the hell it happens to be, because you know, there's longevity in business. A lot of people get super pumped about like mindset frameworks for success. What I look at this event is this is actually like a success framework. I've seen people come to this event and like the trajectory of their life turns because absolutely. Of well, we talk about Marissa with the entrepreneur visa, right? The yeah. Spanish thing. I mean, like I signed up for it. You know, Me too, we're talking. Yeah. You know, we're there the champagne monologues those nights and having those conversations and telling her how big an idea this was. And you know, she believed enough in it and enough in you that she flew all the way there from Brazil to to Spain and you know pitched this thing. But still wasn't super confident it was going to work out. You know, sold all ten spots. Now sees this maybe selling ten spots a month. Like, I mean, that is life changing. Like now she's on the road with her partner, and like they're going to travel the world building this business over the next couple of years. Like, I mean, that's life changing. And I see that all the time. And this is not a oh the TMBA is awesome. But I want to go back to Barcelona for one second. So Ian, the boss man, did a great presentation about teams and offices and all kinds of wonderful stuff. But one of the things that he said that I really thought resonated, and I think that gets missed a little bit, is that while the tropical NBA still not a great name for this business or this podcast anymore. It's so much better than lifestyle business. I love the idea that I build a lifestyle business, but that moniker is so wrong because what unites all of us is we geek out of our business. I've lived in Davao. I lived in Vietnam. I'm back in the US now. I've lived everywhere. You want to go to Barcelona next. But we get together when we're not, we're nerds. We're business nerds, right? We get together and we talk about our business. We talk about other people's businesses. We talk about, there's nothing we like more than dissecting someone. I was at this (laughs) podcast event, sitting down in the bar. These three guys sat down and I dissected their businesses with them for hours at this bar. Guys, I didn't know because we're nerds. It's what we love to do. We don't want to talk about Star Trek or sports or anything else. Our sports is business and our sports is our business, which to me is so much more valuable than rooting for some 30-year-old kid that you don't know, who doesn't know who you are, who doesn't care about you. <laughs> it's, actually, fun. it's fun. Oh, I love sports. I went to the game last week. But like, you know, actually being a part of something you can have control over is amazing. And so yeah, I think you're not delusional at all. I think the people that come here are generally, you know, I was talking about this event we just went to, to entrepreneurs a lot of times. And that's great. I was there once too. I was living in, you know, I had a job I hated. People that are looking for opportunities, they're thinking about, they're doing research, stuff like that. There's a revenue requirement to come to DCBK. Yeah, and I think that, well, then also they're not going to come, right? That kind of person is not going to travel halfway around the world to do that, right? Right. I mean, they have to really What percentage would you say come from outside? It's probably over half. Oh, yeah, well over half, I'd say. Well, that's one thing I want to put to tape is the pilgrimages surrounding this whole thing is that people use it as a long-term travel catalyst. They'll go to the Philippines to see the marketing staff. They'll go to China to hang out with Matt Kowalik and visit factories. They'll go down to the Thai Islands and rent a villa with five or six other people 
but they matter. And I think it's cool, like Dana, like doing that Nepal trek and all that kind of stuff. I and mean, that's really cool. And it's become kind of business nerd spring break for the point, <laughs> right? So not the event itself. The event's very serious. It's come to make money. But if you're going to travel halfway in the world, why not tack on a week or two? Make that your vacation. Screw going somewhere in July. Wait till October. You know, Greg Berry, same thing. Like, he's trying to plan his trip now, right? He lives in Philly and he's trying to figure out, you know, where he's going to go. And it's it. I mean, if you're going to go spend that time, go visit your team. Go visit potential customers. Go visit other people. And then go visit the world. You're in another part of the world. Have a good time. I would say it's fair to say this is a premier event right now for location-independent entrepreneurs in the world. If you are one, if you are one of us, if you're a business nerd and you would like to join us, we do have a limited number of public tickets available right now. They come with access to the DC for a few months and an onboarding call from a community member. So we can save you time, get you injected, you get the most out of the event, meet your peers. So I think that not just, I would say, half the people that go to the D.C. I think another misnomer I want to people from D.C. is I would say more than half D.C.ers are still in the U.S. That's a huge misnomer. Yes. So many D.C.ers live in America. This is not just for backpackers or people that are that are living in, in Southeast Asia. I think 60% Asia. live yeah, in the huge. continental United yeah, States. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so when I am traveling around the U.S. for work, I ping the D.C. to see who's in that city to see if I can go grab coffee because we're still all like-minded. We might be here for... X reasons, real estate, family, whatever that happens to be, just choice. We happen to like the place we live, whatever that, whatever this, you know, Austin, sure. or San Diego, or New York, or whatever. But I mean, some of the cooler DCers I know live in the U.S. You know, people are running these million-dollar marketing businesses, these million-dollar product businesses live here in the U.S. Right, and so I feel that that's another mistake people make is the feeling this is some sort of you have to be an expat. Expat is a mindset, right? It's a it's a frame of mind. I'm living in the U.S. Outsiders, <laughs> right? Exactly, freaks, weirdos. If yeah. you're sitting around the table at Thanksgiving and everybody's sort of looking weird at your direction. So tell me what you do again. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Damon. Well, thanks for joining us on the show. I think I owe you dinner. And what are you up to? What's your domain now? You changed it to salesability. Yeah, salesability.co. So I yeah, doing it. sales training for software companies that are trying to grow from 100000 to a $1 million in revenue or from a $1 million to $10 million in revenue. And you're going to be talking about that at the event in a I small, intimate workshop. Tiny little workshop. So if you want to kiss the ring, <laughs> a limited number of tickets. And you know what? They're only available for two weeks as supplies last. And I got to go check on what the supply is, but it's not that many. So there we go. And you've already sold them. You launched today and you've already sold a couple, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're going to sell out, no doubt. For sure. Cool. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.